Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. And he swings, hits it high, and deep, and gone! Still going back! Yeah! Out of here! Welcome to the big leagues! Deep to center field, and it is gone! Wow, his first big league swing is going to be a grand slam home run. Swing and drive! The 40-man deadline has passed, and now we finally have the list of players, of prospects, Jack, who have not been protected and now are subject to the Rule 5 draft. We've been waiting for this, so now it's really fun. We're going to highlight each of those names, make the case as to why they could be selected or why they may not, and leave it up to you to whether you think they will be picked after all. I'm Aaron Layton. He's Jack McMullen. It's the call-up, and... Jack, as always, there's more names that we probably are intrigued in that than who are going to get selected, but yeah. that doesn't mean that they're all not going to be considered, right? There's a lot of teams that maybe up to the 11th hour consider some of these guys and then decide, eh, we'll keep the roster spot. That said, there's quite a few guys that are worth the consideration here. If I'm If I'm sitting here with the fourth pick in the Rule 5 draft, how can I look past the Futures Game MVP in 2023? Mm. The Futures Game MVP is on here. He was not protected from the 40-man roster. So, um, yeah, get it to be fascinating. We're going to talk about a lot of guys that I think you could call tweeners. Um, you know, maybe guys that, hey, like if they do get selected, they may spend spring training somewhere else. And then when they realize they're not going to make the team, they get returned. We saw that a little bit. Chris Clark is a good example. He spent spring training in Seattle after he was selected in the rule five. Um, but then he was returned to the Cubs and spent the year with Iowa. So you can do that. You're pretty much just forfeiting 50 K if you do do that. Um, but, you know, we'll see what happens with these guys. I think there are a couple hitters that are possible. Um, this will be an arm heavy rule five. But if I were to set the over under a seven and a half guys selected in the major league phase of the rule five draft, are you taking the over or the under? You said a seven. That's a seven really, and a half. Yeah, that's a really good over under. I would I would lean over, uh, but slightly because I, if you ask me what my number would be, it would be eight or nine. Uh, that's yeah. just generally, I think it'll be one or two bats. It, and realistically, there's just always going to be bats that you could justify being taken, but 
you're looking at the bat in a vacuum and you're saying, oh, yeah, I mean, that guy's worthy of, of a roster spot. But that doesn't mean that the roster spot's available, right? You can you can canvas around the the big league active rosters and all of a sudden you're like, ooh, you know, are you taking him over over this veteran or him over this guy? And, right. and that's what I think when we get into it and break into it, that's where the Marlins felt like they have a decent chance with with Troy Johnson maybe not getting selected because first base, you look around the league, most teams are kind of set in that regard, either with a veteran or with a prospect of similar intrigue to Johnson. Right. So they're they're kind of just playing their chances there. We're going to get into that because I still think it was silly uh, based on the Marlins roster situation. But it generally always is arm heavy, easier to stash those guys, easier to you know ease them into their roles, which is is important here. You look at a Mason Angler, right, that, who got picked last year by the Tigers. That's somebody that you know, didn't have a great year, but you know he can build into something solid. You're a rebuilding team. Who cares if he has a, a five ERA out of the bullpen as you're trying to build him up when you're rebuilding? It doesn't really matter. So identifying those players that you think you can continue to develop at the big league level. But is there someone this year that could make that insane uh, Akil Badu leap? That's yeah. another conversation, too. We saw it happen once. We haven't really seen a team do it since. And, and there's a chance that could happen this year if someone wants to roll the dice. So the third option here when it comes to a rule five selection is acquiring them, putting them on your 40 man roster and then trading them for something. Yeah. And that's what happened with Blake Sable, who was taken by the Reds in the rule mm-hmm. five last year. He ended up being traded to San Francisco and he had an excellent rookie season with San Francisco. Another guy was kind of a stalwart in the Tampa bullpen and especially moving forward, Kevin Kelly, who's mm-hmm. really weird arm slot, just spins a sweeper like nobody's business. He was taken, if I'm not mistaken, from Cleveland by Colorado and that he was traded from Colorado to Tampa after the rule five. So you have that third option, that wrinkle. We'll see if anybody kind of fits that mold. To be totally honest, I don't know if I see a Blake Sable in here. I don't know if I see a Kevin Kelly in here. Although I I think if we are going to get an impact big leaguer in 2024, it's going to come on the hill with one of, you know, maybe two, three guys that we have ID'd. Uh, without a doubt. And, and just a couple other names, you know, just from last year that still have some intrigue, right, that may have been successful picks. Ryan Noda, he's a two-win player yeah. last year, put up a 124 WRC plus uh, with, with the Oakland A's. He was the number two pick out of the Dodgers org. That's a successful pick here. And we've talked about how how rare it is for Rule 5 picks being, you know, decent big leaguers in the past, it's becoming more and more common with the litany of, of talent. And we've talked about kind of the backlog with, with the uh, 2020 cancellation as well. Nick Enright, I thought would have been a good option for the Marlins. And I I thought that was a candidate, of course, unfortunately was, was diagnosed with cancer and uh, I think has been doing well and and should be back on the mound and, and hopefully we'll get an opportunity to, to break in back now with the guardians this coming year. But there was a handful of pretty interesting arms that I, I think got good looks. And even the Thad Ward, he he didn't throw well at all. He was one of the worst qualified arms in baseball, uh, but the nationals take him number one. I just saw him in the AFL. He looked much improved and they didn't give him back because they're rebuilding and they're willing to wait it out. And I think there's some players here that for some teams could be worth waiting it out. So that's exactly what we're going to jump into here. And we'll start with with hitters because I think it'll be quicker. And then we'll we'll get into the pitchers after that. Again, typically 
pitchers are going to be taken more uh, than the hitters, but that's something that's changing ever so slightly in our game. We may miss a couple candidates just because there's so many different players and minor league relievers that could be of interest to teams that we're not even paying attention to. But we have to start with Troy Johnston because Troy Johnson, in terms of a, a pure statistical output standpoint, I mean, I'm not sure that there's a better candidate. I mean, the numbers that he put up were absurd, but the Marlins look, they're in an interesting spot because, you know, you have a new president of baseball operations. You just lost your, your GM and Kim Ang. Now Peter Bendix comes over from the Rays. Uh, I'm, I don't know how it worked on the inside. I don't know if Peter Bendix crash coursed the Marlins entire organization within a week, or if he deferred to the people that are still in place to, you know, make these decisions and kind of said, Hey, you know, you guys know this system uh, we will work together here. Regardless, I thought this was somewhat of a silly decision uh, by the Marlins to leave Troy Johnson unprotected. And he might not get picked, like I said, because you canvass the first base situations around the game. There, there may not be a team that says, hey, Johnson's worth the roster spot for us. I still don't think that means that it was worth it for the Marlins to not protect him. That, just going over the year the year that he had between double A AA and triple A. And yes, he's 26 years old. But between double and triple, 307, 399, 549 slash line. He had a 2020 season, so added stolen bases to a part of his game, hit 26 homers. Uh, The defense is not great, and I think that's the problem. They've experimented with him in the outfield. I still think he should get another look out there, and even if he's half passable, it it could be worth it. But also, you know, the first base defense is fine. The the, the comparison is Ryan Noda here, and and I think it's somewhat similar in, in a lot of ways, and that's why I think a team like the A's adjacent or or some team in that kind of situation could take him. I'll get to the Marlins roster situation in a second, but how surprised were you that that Johnson didn't get selected or didn't get added to the 40 man here? Because when you see the 122 or 123 WRC plus and AAA as well, it's really hard to justify a team that is so thin with hitting in, in the organization not protecting this guy, even if they don't see an immediate path to uh, the opening day roster for him. Yeah, I was shocked. And this fully debunks the idea that baseball is a true meritocracy. And for the most part, it is a meritocracy. If you play well, you will get a shot at the big league level. If you play well at the big league level, you will stay at the big league level. But this guy, like he was an all MILB candidate this year. You mentioned the slash line couple of layers to that. You mentioned he was a 2020 guy. He stole 24 bags in 26 attempts. He was a high efficiency base dealer. The other thing that jumps out to me, 83 games in double A Pensacola. First 70 were with that tacked baseball in the Southern League. And then he goes to triple A. And this guy ran a K rate on the year under 20% combined double and triple A. So Yes, you have 36 doubles, 26 pumps. Guy drove in 116. He hit over 300. He was an efficient and volume-based dealer, and he kept the K rate down using a ball from Mars. Yeah, I, I mean, dude, like, there's no flaw to poke in this guy's season. I saw, I, I know it. I know it was rooted in satire, but I saw Peter Pratt, who's the host of Locked On Marlins, <laughs> one of our favorite guys, kind of put out the. the 
the statistical comparison between Troy Johnston and Jackson Holiday. One of them's 19. One of them just finished his age 26 season. Yeah. Um, so there's the big difference. No, um, but that, however, no. <laughs> there's something to be said about those stats in the upper levels of the minor leagues being very similar. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, that, he is so good at the Twitter thing, man. He's Peter so Price. good. He's he knows so what good. he was doing there. But the point does stand in the fact that like he did have one of the better minor league seasons last year. And I, I've yeah. put out some some numbers in terms of like, you know, players with at least 20 home runs, 20 doubles, 20 stolen bases and a K rate below 25 percent. And it's a bunch of studs in there. And it's Troy Johnson. He's one of them. And I think it's a total of maybe 10 players that did that last year. Troy worked really hard on his base stealing uh, and and specifically with J.D. Orr, who's no longer in the organization, but was very well known as one of the better base stealers in the minor leagues on that shuffle and go that we talk about with the Yankees organ. And it became a big part of what Troy was able to do last year. And to me, that's a testament of who he is. And we're going to spend a little bit more time on this one because I thought this was the biggest head scratcher by roster situation. If the defense is a question, <clears throat> how much worse can he be than a Brian De La Cruz, who had an 0.2 F war last year because his defense was so bad? I, I really think that in left field, you could mask him out there and he wouldn't be that bad, especially considering that he's athletic enough to steal these bags. He's shown the ability to, I think, learn quickly. And, and I think a team may be interested in that, especially when you have a lot of high marks on the makeup. The biggest question for me is, you know, when you have – Obviously, Al Garcia is still on your 40 man, right? The, the Cleveland Guardians just DFA'd Cal Quantrill to make room for Daniel Espino and the 5% chance that he attains anything close to his ceiling. And, and that's a whole conversation we'll get into also. I, yeah. Jordan Groshans has a roster spot. I don't mean to disparage Jordan Groshans, but he's not a shortstop. So you can, you can say position. Groshans is playing third and first, and he's a much, much more inferior hitter. And I think his ceiling offensively isn't even close to what Troy Johnson did in the minor leagues last year. Peyton Burdick has a roster spot. I mean, how many times are you going to give him a chance up there? They add Victor Mesa Jr., who I like as a prospect. I actually think he's their best position player prospect, but no one's taking Victor Mesa Jr. There's no way. So I, I just I just thought the Marlins mismanaged this one. And even if Troy Johnson doesn't get selected, it doesn't mean that it was a poor decision. I, I, I know that sounds weird, but – you're leaving yourself open to the chance of him getting selected. And I think that was a mistake. I think it would, if I were a team, I would take him. And it's not just because he's a Marlins guy. I think you look at the numbers, you look at what he did. Uh, you mentioned all of the other things as well. The data, you know, a little high on the chase, but 90th percentile, right? Just shy of 104, hits lefties well enough. Like, I think someone's going to take a shot, but I wouldn't be shocked if they don't because of the positional situation. It helps that you know that he's a good dude. Um, yeah, also, like, I, I gotta be. I gotta be uh, like clear here. I'm I'm biased, and 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 that's got to be cited. I know him. Um, I've you know become friendly with him through the years, but trying to be as objective as possible here, Jack. Yeah, like, no, it's yeah. Like I I don't blame you, and I think you're doing a really good job of being objective because I thought you. it was an objectively bad decision leaving him unprotected. Um. Real quick thing before we move on to the next Marlin, uh, Travis Sawchick does a great job at at the score, um, not 670 the score, the score, the written site. And he will dive into sports business a good bit and the business of baseball. He'll go behind the scenes with telecasts. Um, and I, I do want to talk about the, the Espino Quantrill thing real quick. Um, yes, they protected Daniel Espino. They DFA'd Cal Quantrill. 
Travis tweeted this yesterday evening. Chris Antonetti, the new owner, or the, uh, sorry, the GM of the Cleveland Guardians. Chris Antonetti cites cable revenue uncertainty as one reason the club DFA'd Cal Quantrill. Minnesota Twins plan to reduce payroll. San Diego Padres forced to take out loan. 11 teams are still tied to Bally slash Diamond Sports Holdings and face revenue uncertainty entering the 24th season. Can it be interesting to see how this plays out? And then I think it was just announced this morning that Diamond plans to pull all of their MLB um, streams. So all Bally's will pretty much go under and they'll be controlled by Major League Baseball after the 2024 season. So there was a layer to that that I was not expecting. And I never really expected RSNs and and TV revenue to impact player contracts. But Cal's going to be due about $7 million. That's why they DFA'd him. And they know that somebody's going to go grab him and pay him the 7 mil that he'll get in arbitration. And I think they might even be able to pull off a trade. So, you know, I'm interested to monitor that. You DFA a guy, you get a one-week window. It kind of is almost like putting a guy on the trade block in your fantasy league. Pretty Everyone much. can see this guy's available, basically, and 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 dra- drive some attention that way. But the price goes down drastically. Oh, of course, of course, of course. Yeah, you're you're just trying to advert. If you're putting up an advertisement, yeah, it's it's basically saying on sale, but you're trying yeah, to get you're something. Going through, you're going through sports authority liquidation. Yeah, yeah. E- exactly. Clearance. But wishing Cal uh, the best, too, because yeah, he, sure. he was banged up all year. Great dude. And, and I think with how many teams are starved for pitching, he's definitely worthy depth for another ball club. But you lead me into the next point, which is another Marlin real quick before we move on to all other organizations, I promise. Nassim Nunez, I've done some digging and you know some people seem to think there's a chance he could get selected here. And if you think about it from this lens, I know he does not hit that well. <laughs> like I, I understand that side of it. But you just talked about how teams are looking to slash payroll. And if you have a a, a bench piece, right? Like a Kyle Farmer type who the twins are definitely going to trade. Uh, and I know Farmer's a better hitter, but if I have a bench guy that I really want for elite defense and speed, I can go get Nas Nunez for the league minimum plus the hundred thousand to, to, to draft him. And maybe he develops into an everyday player. If he doesn't, he's still, I think a guy that even with a 50 WRC plus, I think Nazem Nunez would be a positive war player because of how insane the defense is. You'll get a Jorge Mateo, maybe not as much physical upside in terms of how hard he hits the baseball. But at the end of the day, you look at Mateo, his offensive output is is one of the worst in in the game over over the course of most of the season. He's still a valuable player. Nazem Nunez, I think, has the potential to at least be a league average hitter, switch hitter, decent bat to ball, really patient, walks a ton, which is important. But the best defensive shortstop in the minor leagues, point blank, period. There, there's no doubt about that. And we've been able to see that. I saw him make some of the most insane plays just again in the Arizona Fall League. Every time I go to a game to watch this guy play, he does something insane. And I thought uh, my friend Griffin Cohen, I'd put it best when Nassim got promoted. He said within the first week of playing with Nassim Nunez, he saw five plays he's never seen in his life in the infield. And I think there's teams that may have interest in that kind of glove. I understand why the Marlins didn't find the spot for him. But where do you stand here? Because it's a unique circumstance, but I feel like this is the version of, you know, for hitters when we're comparing to pitchers, he's the version of like, oh, you can kind of stash him in the bullpen if it doesn't work as a starter. Like, that's what I feel like Nassim Nunez almost, you can almost stash him on the bench as a defensive replacement and, and, and speedy guy if he doesn't hit enough. Yes, but... 
um, like the where the way that I want to go, the direction that I want to take Nas Nunez is okay. You're looking for a Mateo or an Edmundo Sosa or a Geraldo Perdomo, right? With Nunez, you're you're pretty much just hoping that you get Geraldo Perdomo. Yes. And you get really good defense. You're getting a bunch of bags and, you know, maybe he runs into enough baseballs. Perdomo, like very, very minimal power, very minimal. If Perdomo didn't have his 1,000 OPS April, this guy's not an all-star, clearly. And and he's OPSing in, in the mid-600s on the year, I want to say. The thing that kind of separates Perdomo from Nas Nunez for me is Perdomo is putting up like a 630 OPS in the major league level. <laughs> Nunez put up a 630 OPS in double A and no. his career minor league OPS is 640. Like I can't take a guy who's yet to make his triple A debut. Who's OPSing 640 in the minor leagues in the rule five draft, no matter how good he is defensively. Yeah. We know how the game has changed mm-hmm. in 2009. I'm taking this guy in the Rule 5 draft. Hell, in 2015, I'm taking this guy in the Rule 5 draft. But this game is so explosion-based and so stick-oriented at this point in 2024 that we're going to get into that that I can't justify this pick, unfortunately, because I love what this guy brings to the table for a baseball team. He's fine. I think it will be for the Marlins in 2024. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And and I think this was a more justifiable yeah. yeah, omission would be the word I was looking for. But even the OPS in the Arizona Fall League, take take a gander, like take a guess, actually. 653. Yeah. Right? It's 653. Yeah, 650, I'm not even going to let you guess. guess. You, you would have nailed it because it's the same thing every year. Uh, yeah. I think you've sold me. I don't think he gets picked. There is some smoke there. There's some. There's a little bit of conversation. I think teams will do and their like, due hey, diligence, but man. Eh. Yeah. And hey, 52 bags and 59 attempts with gold glove level defense is like certainly enticing, but you got to slug over 300. And this guy has a career minor league slug of 286, which is just kind of hard to wrap my head around. Yeah, not going to fly. But but a guy that can slug a little bit more uh, is Devin Mann. And I know that you were surprised to see Devin Mann left off of the Royals 40 man. Uh, because he can play multiple spots. They acquired him from the Dodgers. And I think that the struggles of Devin Mann in his transition to Kansas City, I should say Omaha, uh, maybe left them with a bad taste in their mouth because of – but we've talked about it. Like We were just talking about underrated free agents and underrated just upper minors guys when we highlighted Devin Mann. He went from the PCL to what is it? The international league. Like there's, there's some mental aspects of that as well. Like the balls you're hitting in the air, aren't carrying as much. Maybe you try to do a little bit too much. Eh? Maybe you're trying to you know be something else now as a hitter. You're also trying to you know, make an impression with your new team that you actually have a chance to break into at the big league level. Right. When we were with the Dodgers, you kind of know that, Hey, I'm in the PCL. I'm going to hit well, and I'm probably not going to get a chance at the big league level unless there's an emergency. You get to Kansas city. They trade for you. You know, if you hit well, you could get a big league opportunity and you're hitting in a less hitter friendly environment. So just to show the splits here, 89 games in the PCL prior to the trade. This is with the Dodgers organization, 307, 402, 541. And I mean, that'll absolutely play. I don't know what that WRC plus is for the PCL, but I know that the league average OPS in the PCL ain't over 900. So 943 OPS will play. He goes to Omaha. And in 37 games there in the International League in with the Royals affiliate, 199, 354, 405. That's a 758 OPS. I actually think by the average numbers in the International League, 
that is probably close to league average, if not a tick above. Uh, so I think it was a tick below this year. OPS was, was insanely heightened with the ABS. Yeah, OBP skyrocketed, so OPS bumped too. I'll pull up fan graphs as we talk. But regardless, I mean, you, you take the course of the season, you got an 890 OPS, you got 20 home runs, you get the ability to play all over the diamond. At a high level, maybe not, but he can pass by at several different spots. 26 years old. I haven't broken down the Royals 40-man situation, but I'd imagine that it's not that hard to find room for him. And before I kick it to you, 127 WRC plus in the PCL, 95 WRC plus in the International League. Good call, but it's not like that's some you know atrocious figure there as he endures this, this new organization and this big change for the first time in his career, by the way. He was with the Dodgers since 2018. Yeah, um, and he also is getting a little bit closer to home. He's from Southern Indiana. He went to Louisville, uh, and then he was he was back. But um, you know, I will say to kind of play devil's advocate on the oh, you know, new surroundings, hard to get acclimated. Werner Park, which is where Omaha plays in Papillion, which is a suburb of Omaha. Did you know Omaha had suburbs? Mm-mm. Um, it is, yeah, exactly. Um it is one of the more hitter friendly ballparks in the international league. So that that's kind of a hard one. And the 199 is a hard pill to swallow, but the fact that he hit below the Mendoza line um, and was still OBPing 350 plus is pretty impressive. So he certainly counteracted, um, you know, a cold stretch with some walks. I I've got the 40 man pulled up right now and the guys that he was trying to displace it's kind of tough to find space for him. Michael hmm. Garcia makes more sense. Yeah, no, right. He's a better player. Nick Lofton makes more sense. Massey, Vinny, Nick Prado, Samad Taylor, Bobby Witt. I don't see space there. You go <laughs> to the outfield. Dyrone Blanco stole a billion bases this year. He's older, but like, don't care. Tyler Gentry, he's got the prospect pedigree. He's over a better him. player. Diego Hernandez, I don't know. Isbell, I don't know. MJ Melendez, Olivares, Nelson Velasquez, Drew Waters. I think the guys that you would displace on this 40-man are probably Diego Hernandez and Olivares. But even then, I'm not sure if you need to do it. Yeah, um, that's a good point. It's it, it's kind of it's kind of tough to, to tough. sell me on it. Because Devin Mann is like my dream shuttle back and forth guy like you know i don't want to use the term quad a because it's naturally negative but like there's always one guy every year where if you could name a non-stop flight from that triple a affiliate to the big league affiliate it's like you know that commemorative one like for the white Sox, the the flight from charlotte to o'hare was always just the danny mendick flight like yeah that's how it was and, and, I and think those guys are valuable Manning, the super valuable because hey, guy goes down, he's up the next day, wherever it is. So I think the flight from Omaha to Kansas City, I think that's actually a drive. Um, yeah. but that highway should be the Devon Man Highway yeah. in 2024. Um, I don't know if that guy is is 40 man worthy right now, but if somebody hops on the 60 on April 5th, you know who's getting added to the 40. Yeah. And and I think there's no doubt about that. A couple of just figures there is. You, you look at the power output, I think that was a big part of it in terms of is that going to translate at the big league level? And I think it's fair to wonder if it will. Uh, 90th percentile of 102. That's uh, you can look at the PCL and say, OK, maybe you know, maybe he was benefiting power wise there. And then you mentioned Omaha being a hitter friendly environment. He hit six more there. 
He's a guy that hits the ball in the air consistently, and that helps, but that's also going to help you reap the rewards of hitter-friendly environments. So, yes, runs a really low chase rate, like fringe average contact rates. You look across the board, and it's like, okay, how is this going to work as a, as a solid big league player? And it's, it's a question. Uh, so I think it's understandable why they left him off. Uh, but this is one of those guys, if you have the space, no brainer, you add him. But you're not going to displace a guy that's shown some success in the big leagues at some points uh, for Devin Mann, because you're kind of hoping that that's exactly what he's going to do is show some success at the big leagues at some point. Um, if yep. if that's kind of what it seems like is the best case scenario for him, like you said, is that you know, quadruple A type of player. Picking up the pace a little bit, Cameron Meisner with the Rays. Uh, I mean, the Marlins traded him out there. I know Marlins fans weren't happy about it. He he showed a lot of power, speed, tools galore, but a strikeout rate above 30%, I think could ultimately deter teams. We don't need to go through the Rays 40, man. You know that they're always struggling to find space for anybody. They opted, and we're going to talk about players that were added to the 40, man, very soon, probably early next week, um, and, and, and highlight that because I think there's a lot of fun things to dive into within that. Austin Shenton gets added. There's no doubt about it that Austin Shenton's bat oh, yeah. just, just is deserving, but Meisner gets displaced here. Could a team take a chance, Jack? Like 6'4", 230 pounds, plus runner hits the living crap out of the ball uh, and, and can play all three outfield spots. He still was productive last year, despite the 36% K rate. I say no because of literally the 36% K rate, but tools galore. If you want the best version of Sam Hilliard on your roster um, and, and you think that there's space on the 26 man roster, then I would take Cam Meisner in the roll five draft. Problem is, I don't think Sam Hilliard's a big leaguer in this version, right? Especially not in Atlanta where he was last year. Like he spent the year in Gwinnett. Um, I don't think Meisner gets picked because it feels like every organization has a Sam Hilliard adjacent. And he just happens to be Tampa's Sam Hilliard adjacent where he's got juice. He's got, you know, speed. He's got defense. You just got to hit the ball more than yeah. 70% of the time. Yeah, no. And, and I think he goes unselected uh, and and the Rays have some, some depth there in triple a still guy that was previously with the Rays got shipped over to Seattle. And I, if I have this correctly, they didn't add him to the 40. So they literally traded for him just to have the chance of him not getting selected in the rule five. Do I have that right? Blake hunt. I think so. Yeah, yeah, there it, could be some weird contract issue that I, like we don't know the yeah. answer to. I, I'm assuming that that's why the, the return was so minimal, right? You have somebody that uh, that really you feel like has a decent chance to get picked in the Rule 5, but at the same time like could not, and they gave up a, a lower-level catching prospect and ultimately said, hey, uh, yeah, we'll hope he doesn't get selected. But Blake Hunt. I, d- depending on the situation, I, if we're if we're missing something on it, uh, I don't know. I think Hunt could be a candidate just because he's a good backup catcher. Um, so I, I'm I'm interested by the whole dynamic here. Hunt really made a lot of big strides offensively last year. Uh, he improved, I think, in just about every department you wanted to see. And I think he's a pretty safe bet as a backup catcher. So that's why I'm like confused about this whole dynamic and how this all works because if seattle just traded for him why wouldn't you add him to the 40 did they just trade for him to not uh, basically just to have the chance of him not getting selected i'm assuming yeah and if they get 100k they get 100k i, I think that's the way they went at it uh but 
Hunt could get picked here, which would make that a really interesting couple months if we're not missing something contractually here. Here's a thought exercise that I think we could actually do because we're freaking losers. Um, if I were to put together a big board of the top 60 catchers in baseball, pro, minor league, do you think Blake Hunt's a top 60 catcher? Yeah, I think so. I do think then so. he gets picked. I don't know if he is. The offensive limitations make me think he could be at like the 65 to 70 range, and that way he doesn't get picked. It, it's interesting. I think the Mariners are agreeing with you, and that's why they were willing to take this chance. Uh, again, assuming that we're not missing something uh, yeah. that, that is not at hand here. A guy yeah, that my, my niche takeaway, real quick. My niche yeah. takeaway is like this guy is either, um, I don't know, back end of the second string catchers or front end of the third string catchers. Fair. And I think that they have a good third catcher. Yeah. I, yeah, but I think the offensive improvements he made, I mean, cut the chase, improve the contact rates, put up a pretty yeah. good offensive season at the upper I levels. Will, I will say cutting the chase was pretty easy in AAA this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is definitely a good point. That said, Blaine Krim of the Rangers. Yeah. This might be, and this is another reason why I think the Marlins may have felt like they could get away with Johnson because I think you could make the Blaine Krim case as maybe the most intriguing bat. We just talked about him as an underrated uh, upper minors guy with the Rangers and another 26-year-old, but monster power, had a really solid year overall uh, in the upper minors. I think has a little bit more defensive value at first base, but again, it's just first base. He's playing in the winter league right now. And I mean, I'm just looking at the batted ball data and it's strong. It's really strong. Obviously playing in some hitter friendly environments. So you got to look at the back end data. 90th percentile of 106 zone contact rate at 83% running normal chase rates. I mean, this is a dude I'm, if I need offense, I'm, I'm looking at because when, when the numbers are backed by some strong batted ball data struck out at less than 20% of the time this year, walked at a 12% clip. I'm definitely intrigued by Krim. Rangers just didn't have the room. I'm I'm going to say he gets picked. I think Krim gets picked. Huh. Um, I could see it. Like an 890. Yeah, I could see it. I think Johnston gets picked before Krim. Wow. Mm-hmm. I So I think I'd go Krim. I really do. Okay. I think that the underlying data is just a little bit more impactful. You got a, almost a 10% difference in the chase rate. You've got three ticks in the 90th percentile. And then you've got contact rates that are comparable. Crim's uh, a guy that can really impact the baseball. So it'll be it'll be fascinating to see how teams approach it. And, you know, I, I do wonder if teams are out there kind of checking out what Crim's doing in the winter league. I don't know what, what his numbers are right now for uh, Escogido, but – He's playing ball and be, yeah. uh, I, th- I think he's not playing great. Honestly, do you have that in front of you? Yeah. He's OPSing like seven twenty. He's got a couple pumps so far. Um, okay. I'm going to see him early next week. I'll give you a, uh, I'll give you a live report on. Blake oh Krim. yeah. Yeah. But, I'm down here right now. Oh yeah. I forgot that you're there right now. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I, uh, but yeah. Give yeah. me, give me the report on Blaine Krim. That said th- that is probably the best underlying batted ball data. Uh, I think of any bat that we're going to talk about here in the rule five. Got you. Okay. Yeah. See, I don't, 
I don't have that information. Um, so tough for me, but I see a, a first baseman hit 310 and have 26 homers and 24 bags. And I, I might just take that guy instead. <laughs> <laughs> That's very fair. That's very, very fair. Uh, next up, we jump to Carlos De La Cruz of the Phillies. Really big year in double A. Big, big dude. I think he's six, what is he, six, 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 seven. Uh, we'll keep this one quick because I just know people are going to ask about him. No, I just don't think it happens. Um, really good year. I, I just think he gets picked apart by upper level pitching or AAA big league pitching, I should say, uh, w- with the length to his swing. I'm impressed by the improvements that he's made. But if I'm taking a chance on a guy that I don't know if they're going to hit enough, I'd rather look at a Grant McRae. Uh, I don't know if you have anything to add on Dilla Cruz. <laughs> we could segue right into to Grant McRae. <laughs> Nothing. I unfortunately didn't get my fix of the Reading fighting Phils much this year. No, no, especially with with no Andy Painter and uh, yeah, just just no interest. Yeah, from me. like the occasional Abel. Yeah, <laughs> like it. if if you're making the leap, Grant McRae's got more intrigue, right? Because we just talked about him when we broke down the Giants system, and yes, he performed slightly above average from an offensive perspective in high A, but. We talked about Akil Badu, crazy athlete, guy that was hurt and then had minimal experience above low A, I think. And we saw the Tigers take a chance. It worked for a little bit. I don't think the Tigers would ever say that it wasn't worth the $100,000 because it, it was worth it. It was 100% worth it. He gave them you know, plenty of production and still is in their system now. Uh, so, you know, it was it was worth it. McCray, 52 bags, if I'm remembering off the dome correctly, I believe on 59 tries, but also an elite defender in center field. So you've got a fourth outfielder here with plus speed. You mentioned like how it's not as it's harder to pallet for a Nas Nunez it might be easier to pallet for a Grant McRae who can run into some homers who is putting up above average offensive numbers, at least yes, he's going to strike out, but fourth outfielder with a little bit of juice, elite speed and can play a high level center field. I think it's a leap of faith. I don't think anyone does it, but I could understand a front office having the conversation about it if you don't have much outfield depth because of the way he can go get it out there defensively. Uh, Grant McRae had how many bags and how many attempts? I thought I had 52 on 59 attempts. Such a loser. 52 on 62 attempts. Ah! All right. My That's bad. ridiculous. My Your bad. party trick is just absolutely busted at this point. Um, Yeah, like the whiff is high. The K rate mm-hmm. is high. Um, you made the direct comp to Trent Grisham and you never make comps. So I know that's a very direct comparison. Yeah. And I will tell you, Trent Grisham has a job on 30 out of 30 major league baseball teams. The frustration is there because he's an everyday player that for some reason, San Diego occasionally just shoves to the top of the order. Um, and, and I think for a team that is trying to win the world series with a massive payroll, Trent Grisham is a source of frustration. But look at Trent Grisham in a vacuum, and you will find out that that guy has value on all 30 Major League Baseball teams. So many teams would slap him in a platoon role in center field, and every other team would slap him on the bench and have him be a revolving fourth outfielder. Um, Is McRae there yet? Probably not. Is a team willing to roll the dice? In a given situation, maybe. Like. Does Maybe. he have a spot in the Miami Marlins like bench fold? Uh, I don't know. That's my kind of thing with the jazz move to center. Probably not. Um, but man, like 
I don't know. I'm trying to think of just a brutal center field situation. Like he, he can probably alleviate some of that work. There's, there's gotta be one out there where it's like, yeah, it's worth a flyer. Um, and, and similar to the Badu situation w- w- with the tigers, right? They had nothing to lose. Why not throw them out there? And McCray's finished to the season, you know, putting up an 843 OPS over his last 50 games, you know, may leave some teams feeling pretty decent. And, and also father was a big leaguer, you know, has the bloodlines high end makeup can make that big jump. I, th- I think it's a big jump. I don't think he gets picked, but it's it, it is worth considering. We'll get to the pitchers in a second here, but a quick break. Jumping into the arms, it's going to be rapid fire, uh, and and yes. we're going to spend a little bit more time on the guys that we're more interested in. So we'll go a little bit longer on Tanner Burns, and then mm-hmm. and then probably not that much time on other guys. I just talked about CJ Van Eyck on the, on the last episode, which was audio only for those watching on YouTube. Uh, so we don't have to spend too much time on him. Tanner Burns is, is gotta be one of the top targets here with the Cleveland guardians. He's left unprotected here. We, we talked about the guardians are perpetually in a, in a 40 man crunch and Burns started to be used as a reliever at the end of the year. I, I, I don't know if that was to preserve his innings, if that was, well, I don't know what was at hand there, but for whatever reason, they had him coming out of the bullpen a little bit. Regardless, he was solid as a starter. He was solid out of the pen when they used him that way. And he put up another really solid season on the bump. It's just one of those situations where a Tanner Burns to the Guardians is not as valuable as a Tanner Burns to just about anybody else because the Guardians build a litany of starting pitching depth. Yeah, so Tanner Burns this year, just want to give you a glimpse into what he did. 60 and a third innings as a starting pitcher, 14 starts. He had a 3-1-3 ERA, opponents hit 214 against him. Uh, he had 55 punch outs and 30 walks in 60 and a third. So the walk number creeped up. Then he made the move to the pen, 15 appearances out of the bullpen, 26 and a third innings, eight earned runs. That's a 273 ERA, 31 punch outs, 11 walks in 26 and a third opponents hit 222 against him. Those are good numbers. Yeah. Those are good numbers as a starting pitcher. Those are great numbers as a reliever, especially for a guy that, you know, has starts in the tank. Like he can give you two, three innings out of the bullpen. If need be, I never really understood why he didn't get any of the fanfare behind him. First time I saw him was in 2021 in high A. And I was like, this cat's really good. And here he is in 2022, putting together a solid year. 2023, put together a really solid year as a hybrid. Um, I don't get it, frankly. <laughs> Maybe they already have another Tanner B and like they realized, hey, can't, hey can't like have two Tanner Bs. Big league, yeah, big league staff can't have two Tanner Bs, even though you can call one Bybee and one Burns. Um <laughs> That's that's, I guess, the most sound reasoning I have for leaving Tanner Burns unprotected. And I think he should probably be the number one overall pick in this thing. Yeah, We talked about that when we were talking about underrated upper minors, guys, is a crossover here again. A little bit of overlap was like this would be my one one pick, I think, in the rule five. And, and you mentioned it because this is another perfect player here where if he's not ready to start. All right. Throw him in the pen. That slider's nasty. And, and he that, clearly do it like he yeah. did it well. And so I'm saying it's uh, there's a chance he might be better as a reliever. Okay, well, you just snagged one here, you know, for very cheap. And and he can be a pretty darn good one, as you mentioned with the numbers, but also someone that even if he's not a rotation piece, you know, you can stretch out, you know, you can use as a swing man. And that slider alone, I think, is is a big league weapon for him. So 
ceiling might be a little bit capped given that he operates in the low nineties and just kind of missing that third pitch that he can really rely on. But I think a team can see him as a high probability middle relief guy. And with the, with the chance of potentially being a starter. So uh, Burns should be one of the first selections uh, in this rule five. Another name is Shane Drohan that I think a lot of people are, are buzzing about with the Boston Red Sox, uh, just because he comes with some, you know, some balance of upper minor success, uh, but I thought kind of limped to the finish line in triple a, I don't love the stuff from Drohan. He's been inconsistent. He's a lefty with some deception, and I think that's enough for a team to to have some interest. We see guys like this get taken in the Rule 5 all the time. Uh, but I think there's a reason why the Red Sox left Johan unprotected here, uh, and and it's just he's kind of a one-trick pony. He's got the change up. That's pretty much the only pitch that was consistently getting outs for him. Another low 90s fastball guy, meh, command. He walked 13 per nine. He might get picked because he's a 6'3 lefty with some upper minor success, but I understand why the Red Sox didn't protect Johan. I understand it as well. Um, I will say, and kind of same thing with Burns, I'll echo it for Johan. On November 16th, not many teams, not many fans think they need a two-inning sinker slider guy. But in June, you're begging for a two- to three-inning sinker slider guy. And that's what Drohan can be. And I don't think it's sinker slider exactly with Drohan, but he can be a two, three inning reliever with low 90 stuff and just like kind of get you through it. I don't think he gets picked because um, the command is way more of an issue than it was for Burns. I think you said 15 per nine. I think it was five per nine, right? It wasn't 15 walks. Per oh, that's it. That's a 13 percent walk rate. Oh, 13%. Okay. I thought you said 13 per nine. I might've said 13 per nine. I could have easily said that. I'm, I, I don't know. I don't know what my brain is at this point. Um, <laughs> we've been, we've been flying around a lot. I, I mentioned that we were just coming from Kentucky and now I'm in Chicago. You're in the Dominican Republic, but no, I, I, if I said 13 per nine, that is my mistake. 13% walk rate though. I, regardless, 13 per nine is, is what I would do out there. But 13% walk rate, you're 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 struggling though. Like that's that's a t- there's nothing worse than drafting a guy in the rule five. You put him into the big leagues where the zone's even tighter, and yeah, you can't throw a strike. Like you, you can't stash yeah. those guys. You can't do anything right. with those guys. No, I've got faith in you exceeding 13 per nine. I certainly have faith in our partnerships guy, Colby Olson, doing better than 13 walks per nine. He works hard at it. He works uh, hard. JT Ginn, Oakland A's at do we you, you put him on the sheet? Do we need to talk about JT again? I don't think so. He is um a possibility, I guess, at the tail end if you want a seventh starter on your team. Um is there any intrigue left for JT again? Like I, I would say maybe just because of the this story you have here, right? Which is a lot of intrigue previously, injuries have derailed him came back at the end of the year and then got hurt again. So it depends on, on how he looks. He did look decent in spots when he came back from the injury. I'm going to say too much, too many red flags injury wise, not enough success to feel like any team's going to take in here. Next up is one of the more fun names to see, to say, and a guy that I saw out in the Arizona fall league, Anthony Hoopy Tuyo net Toa. Did I do that right? Anthony sure. Hoopy Tuyo Natoa. Yeah, we'll say you did it right. What's what's the well, what what is it, Mr. Broadcaster? Can you can you I have no idea. Oh, Dude, damn. I don't know. Okay. Well then we'll we'll, we'll go. 
we'll go with. I thought you had it like in your bag. I thought you had it like ready to go. No, like if I had to guess, Tuaya Natoa. Oh, that is, so Natoa. See, that is so much better than what I said. Yeah, but like, I don't, I don't know if that's right. It's probably not. Oh, it definitely is. That was a lot better. I, okay, well, regardless, I could see him getting picked just because the stuff is so loud. I don't know if you have his numbers in front of you, uh, and, and I know that. It's short spurts. This is a a relief piece, no doubt. But fastball sits 96. Curveball is a hammer. And he mixes in a changeup every once in a while that that flash is decent. But it's mostly fastball curveball here. And opponents hit a buck 92 against him this year, if you you add in the Arizona Fall League. And lively stuff out of the bullpen. Fun name. I could see it. Yeah, I, he threw so sparingly, 24 and a third uh, during the minor league season, 19 hits against him, an ERA under three, eight earned in 24 and a third, 25 punched out, seven walks. But then in surprise with the Saguaros, nine and two thirds, four hits, no runs. So left with a uh, a uh, perfect ERA, 10 Ks, three walks in nine and two thirds. And again, just four hits against him. So, um, yeah, interesting to say the least. Um this is a name I, I think, you know, again, Rangers casualty, really good 40 man roster. Uh, it's yeah. just one of those situations was hurt late start to the year, but in the AFL may have shown enough for, for a team to have interest. CJ Van Eyck's a name that's had some buzz with the blue Jays because he's been injured, uh, came back second half of the season. And I, I thought showed some good things and then showed some good things in the AFL. Another player that former second round pick out of Florida state 2020 draft, I think had the Tommy John then had some complications afterwards, but came back, showed some good things at times out of the rotation. But I think what was what makes CJ Van Eyck a potential pick for me is that he came out of the pen more, especially in the AFL and looked sharp out of the pen and everything played up. Fastball ticked up a bit more. This slider was playing up. He has this hard cutter. And all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I, I can, I can kind of see this working, working out of a pen. So Van Eyck has the the prospect intrigue has just been hurt. It was almost 800 days. I just talked about him on the last episode, almost 800 days between outings. I think he really improved his stock in the AFL by just showing that, Hey, the stuff's still there. And I think that's really encouraging because the fastball was previously sitting 92, 93 in relief. He was sitting 95, 96. It's a guy that might be worth a shot. That's so hard to fathom. That's over two years between outings. For a minor leaguer, like that's that's so hard to fathom. Yeah, and here he is. So I I think that's one of those where you can use that in his favor and say, hey, he was that long between outings. Let's see what we can get out of him, and maybe we can unlock something here. Uh, and and I think Van Eyck with the prospect intrigue too as a former day one guy could be a target. Couple more pitchers: Matthew Thompson, Chicago White Sox. Plenty of prospect intrigue there uh, previously. But Jack, pretty much no chance he gets picked, right? I don't think so. No, like there, there's no track record of success in the upper levels of the minors for Thompson. Um, the physique, like the build certainly says, hey, future MLB pitcher. But unfortunately, the numbers just don't back up um, that, you know, he's ready to hop into a big league staff right now. So I don't I don't see it. Another name is Troy Watson. Troy Watson a reliever mostly uh, if i'm not mistaken yeah mostly just almost completely worked as a reliever out of triple a for toronto uh, watson 26 years old but has some intriguing stuff nasty change up fastball that k 
can get up to 99, uh, which anytime you got a fastball that can get up to 99, I think teams are going to be intrigued. Good slider as well in the upper 80s. This is a guy that you're you're putting right into your bullpen. There's command issues, 13% walk rate, but again, he runs it up to 99. There, There could be a team with some interest in Troy Watson. Yeah, I 100% man. like my go to with guys that, you know, are in bullpens if they're row five eligible. Yes, like they're gone. Just take them. <laughs> Relievers are so easy. Right. In like terms of row five selection, especially if you really believe in the in the stuff and, and, and what they've got going there. Coleman Crow yeah. probably won't get selected with the Mets, even though I, I think there's an off chance just because of how solid the stuff can be. Really good fastball from a low release point, high carry, gets a ton of whiff on that. He was reaping the rewards of that tack ball in double A before getting hurt, then gets traded from the Angels over to the Mets, I think in that Eduardo Escobar trade. Uh, But he punched out 12 in six innings and then had another outing of seven innings, six Ks, two runs, and then got hurt. And that was in May. And then we didn't see him since. So it'd be a leap injury-wise. But this is a good arm. Uh, it's a very talented arm that a team could try to take a flyer on and stash on the IL if he's still hurt. Yeah, I think maybe you're you're hoping that he's the guy that sends people back to the dugout scratching their head. It's like it's not he, he, almost like poor man's Joe Ryan, but like, it, hey, like this isn't that good of a fastball. Why am I swinging and missing? He just kind of screams that. I don't think – the Mets said they're in what uh, assessment of assets like they're they're in a reorganization. They didn't use rebuild. I don't remember the exact word that they used when it came to 2024. But if you're not rebuilding, I don't think Coleman Crow is, you know, on your roster. He might be on others. I don't know if he is. We'll see. Yeah, I, I think the injury may end up putting teams off just enough. Any other names? We've got a few more here like on on the, the dock, but I didn't know if there was any that you specifically wanted to talk about, like a Justin Jarvis with the Brewers. I just, no. don't, just don't think he's going to have much intrigue. Cole Franklin yeah. with the Cubs, like I just don't really see it. I didn't know much about Tyler Owens, uh, right-handed reliever for the Braves, but he's a reliever that can run it up to 98, 99 miles an hour. So if you've got a reliever throwing 99, I assume that he can factor into some sort of big league bullpen that isn't in Atlanta. So they've got enough relievers there. I don't know what you have on Tyler Owens, but that's oh. the only other name that kind of jumps to my mind. He's five, nine low release point heater uh, that sits 95 up to 99. Yeah. This could be one of those relievers where people are like who, and then he, he ends up looking pretty good out of the, out of the pen. He goes slider cutter to slider, Played pretty well, 680 OPS against, and then the cutter was just nasty for him this year. Yeah, Tyler Owens, how about that name? 22 years old, too. He might be gone. Cool. Why not? Why not? There's your relief. I mean, Waldrop's going to be their setup guy this year anyway, so (laughs) we're good. Last name, I think, is Ian Bedell, uh, because I Mm -hmm. saw some surprised about that. Uh, I don't know if you have his his numbers in front of you right now, but Cardinals prospect, another team that's just got a lot of talent on the 40, 24 years old. Uh, the stuff's pretty solid. It's a decent three-pitch mix, fastball slider change, fastballs you know, mostly 93, 94 uh, with, with some decent shape to it. Sliders, uh, an above-average pitch. Change-up is kind of fringy, but 6'3", 200-pound righty, solid arm didn't pitch above high a i think that's ultimately going to keep teams you know deterred 
but yeah. you never know in, in, in today's game. If they see something there, they think they can unlock it. Maybe I think Bedell will be just fine and, and it'll still be a Cardinal. But I saw some Cardinals fans surprised and upset. I, I think I think he's going to be fine. I think he's I think they. I think they were probably surprised because, you know, he is like, I, I think pipeline has him as a top 15 Cardinals prospect. So like, okay, I get that you could be surprised there. It's like, Hey, why are we not protecting our 15th best prospect? If he's rule five eligible, the answer is because he hasn't thrown in anything above high A, but yeah. it was 19 starts, eight appearances out of the bullpen, 96 innings. He had a two and a half ERA. So like, I get it. Hey, you pull up the numbers. It's like, wow, he was really good this year. And he's our 15th best prospect. Why are we not protecting him? Because he was a Peoria chief and he has yeah. yet to be in Springfield or Memphis. So I think we're good. And he's 24 and you, know, you don't have that one pitch that you can say, oh, well, we can stash this in a pen. Like we were talking about with some other guys. It's, you know, average heater, slightly above average slider, fringy changeup. You know, you're, yeah, you're, you're resting on the command there. So that's not really your classic rule five type selection there. But 110 Ks, 36 walks, that'll always play. That'll do it for this. We'll continue to try to fill in, you know, if more rule five names pop up, we'll be talking about them. Maybe some names that we may have missed some players that, you know, we may be hearing some buzz about some intrigue about and, and continue to, I think, fill it up and, and discuss those players as the rule five gets closer. Uh, but next episode will be Rocky's top prospects, which I'm very excited to jump into. And then a fun announcement coming for all you card collectors out there uh, for some of the content that we're going to have over the next couple months and, and who we'll be working with. So stay tuned for that as well. Jack, any final thoughts? I don't think so. Tanner Burns, one, one print the shirts. Yeah. They need, they need to leak that pick early, like Thad Ward again. Yes. Where yeah, the, the pick is in before the pick is in uh, it's Tanner Burns. Looking forward to seeing if, if, there's a case for anybody else, and we'll, again, continue to try to compile some other names as we have some more time over the next few weeks. But just wanted to get you that primer as soon as possible, as I know it's exciting times right now, as we're hungry for for any prospects and any any just baseball transactions and, and discussion at this point. Yeah, More discussion on the Rockies coming, a lot more fun stuff coming next week as well. So as thank you for listening. Look forward to talking prospects with you, Rockies prospects, very soon. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.